Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. So, we're getting into the Word. Go to Luke chapter 5. We'll get there in one second. We're going to jump into uh, a, a section today on prayer. Teach us to pray. Part one, that's the title of the sermon. So we'll get there in just a second. But we're in a series called Practicing the Way of Jesus. If you haven't been with us for the last year, we're, we're redefining discipleship or apprenticeship to Jesus as three things. We're learning to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do the things that Jesus did. This is what sets discipleship apart from cultural Christianity that says believing in Jesus is enough to show up to church once in a while, give some money, and that's about it. Be nicer in a little moral and vote party line, and you're a Christian. And I just need you to know that's not what Jesus meant when he said, go into all the world, into the nations, uh, preaching the gospel, making disciples, uh, doing the things that I did, teaching people to obey all that I have commanded. That's not, I'm just summarizing all of his commission statements. That's not what he meant, okay? And so we want to relearn what it means to follow Jesus. And so we've been teaching practices. One of the ways that we can learn to become like Jesus or to do the things that Jesus did or be with Jesus is by adopting his lifestyle. You see, if you want the life of Jesus, you need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And what we see in Jesus' life is a man who is marked by prayer. So we're going to continue our little mini-series on prayer. But before we get to Luke, let me just tell a story that has radically shaped my understanding of prayer. And it's from Brendan Manning. Brendan Manning tells a story of a time when he was in New Orleans. And a lady came to his apartment and knocked on the door and asked if he was Brendan Manning. She's, uh, uh, a f- she said, a friend gave me your address. My dad is sick. I asked our priest to come and pray, but he gets caught up in his administration of the church and forgets to come. Will you come and pray for my father? I don't know how much time he has left. I'll be there in 10 minutes, Bren- Brennan said. Brennan shows up and sees a chair pulled up next to the bed. Brennan walks in and says, oh, you must have been expecting me. The old man says, no, who are you? Brennan explains that he's a priest and he's come to pray. I assumed because of the chair, you were just waiting for me. The old man said, oh, the chair, that thing? Hey, you're a priest. Tell me something. A few years ago, I wanted to learn how to pray. So I went to our priest and asked about it. And he gave me a book by a Swiss theologian on the subject. The priest told, him that it was, told me that it was the best contemporary book of prayer. And after three pages, I had to look up 11 words. I gave the book back to the priest and said, thank you. And whispered under my breath for nothing. Later, my friend said to me that prayer is easy. Pull up an empty chair on your, and in your heart, imagine Jesus is there. He says in his scripture that he will be with you always until the end of the earth. And talk to him like you are having a conversation with a friend. The man said to Brenning, I've been doing it every day, sometimes for two hours. Then the man asked, you're a priest. Is that prayer? Brennan said, it's simple. It's profound and indeed prayer. It delights the heart of Jesus. Brennan prayed for him and, the, uh, and prayed for the man and left. A few days later, the woman came back to Brennan, Brennan's apartment and told, her, told him, excuse me, that, his, that her father had passed. He asked if he had died in peace and she said yes, but something weird happened. My dad called me in before I left the store around two o'clock, kissed me on the head, told me a joke. When I came back, I found him dead. 
Right before he passed, he pulled himself out of bed and placed his head in the empty chair next to the bed. Simple, profound, and indeed prayer, it delights the heart of Jesus. As we think of prayer, I hope that the goal for us is that. That we get into this place where prayer for us is where we want to lay our dying head. As we learn the intimacy of the Father. So with that story as the backdrop of where we want to go, how do we build towards that relationship with Jesus? And Jesus, um, first let's look at the observations of his life, and then we're going to anchor our kind of instruction today from the Lord's Prayer, which is probably the, one of the most familiar texts in all of Scripture. I'm going to talk about three different things from there, and we'll break it up. So next week we'll continue from the Lord's Prayer from there. So if you have a Bible, we're going to start in Luke chapter 5, and we're just going to make some observations about Jesus' life. Um, when he lived. Uh, verse f- uh, 15. So Luke five fifteen, it says this. Uh, Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and uh, came to hear him and to be healed from their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Go to Luke chapter 6, verse 12. As, Luke, uh, as Jesus is deciding on who his disciples are going to be or his apostles. It says in Luke 12, one of those days Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God to decide who should take on this task of being his disciples. In Luke chapter 9, verse 18, Luke 9, 18, it says, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, what do you, what do the crowd say I am? So what we see is Luke shows Jesus is a man of prayer. Luke 9, verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as flash of lightning, as a flash of lightning, excuse me. Luke 34, it says, or verse 34, it says, while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I, cho- I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what had happened and what they had seen. So what we have so far is pictures of Jesus's ministry, that when the crowds are coming to see him and people want to be healed and he's healing them, after this great success, he withdraws and goes to a solitary place where he's alone in prayer. When he needs to make an important decision about the future of his mission, remember that Jesus ascends into heaven and gives his life, mission, and ministry to these 12 dudes. 12 guys and his disciples, remember just real quick, his disciples, their age was around 12 to 20. That was the age of his disciples when he commissioned. So Jesus essentially hands off the task of renewing the cosmos, taking this message to the ends of the earth to a bunch of teenagers. So he goes to the Father to discern who's going to carry his mission out. So he stays up all night praying with the Father in that moment. It says in Luke 9, that Jesus goes away and he prays with his disciples. Three of them, he takes them up to the mountainside and he has his God encounter where he's utterly transformed and the voice of God is audibly heard about him being chosen. 
Prayer is the source of Jesus' ministry. It was the center point for his life with God. It's woven into the fabric of his everyday, ordinary life. His morning routine, his weekly schedule. When he doesn't have time for it in the day, he'll stay up all night to enjoy, it seems like, to be in the presence of God. Jesus was a man who prayed. And if we want the life of Jesus, we need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. So we see that prayer is, is something that was important to Jesus. That's, that's the point. But my second point is, how many of us actually have this kind of experience in prayer? Like, on, let's just be brutally honest. Like, how, how many, of, for most of us, this is not our experience in prayer. Prayer is not the center source for our well-being, for our decision-making. For our life as we parent, as we seek a spouse, as we live out of our singleness, prayer is not the the central source of our life with God. For most of us, prayer is boring. Would you, am I right? You can just say yes or no. Amen? Like, okay, I'll just give you a couple of pictures of what prayer life is for me often. And if you relate, you can say amen, okay? Not that you want it to be like this, but this is how it is. This is what it's like. You get up, you want to pray because Darren says to pray, or you, you feel compelled to pray. So you set some time, you go, you make coffee, you light a scented candle, you put on Bethel in the background, you show up <laughs> instrumental, right? It's going, it's there, the Bible's open, there's this passionate verse, you're excited, you go, God, I'm coming to you, and you think, and you start writing down your shopping list, right, like for the day, and you think, oh, I forgot to text back my mom, I gotta text you, you start texting your mom, and then you open up Instagram, and next thing you're scrolling and talking and posting. Does anyone else agree that prayer is typically, or specifically hard today? Because we live in the age of distraction, digital distraction. Economists call it the attention economy. Everything we live in, is, does, everything we look at is designed to get your attention and keep you looking. Every app, every device, every advertisement is tracking and curating images and advertisement to get you looking, scrolling, keeping your attention on the things that, that you want to buy. And what happens, all to say that prayer is really hard. And most of us don't come into prayer with a lot of excitement and joy. It's more of a chore and a task. Would you agree? So how, knowing that, how do we become people of prayer? How, we, how can we possibly become the kinds of people that represent Jesus? That pray like, I want to pray like Jesus. I believe in his scripture, he says, do whatever you ask in my name, it will be done for you and it will glorify the Father when you do this. I want that kind of prayer life. I do. But what, in order to have that kind of power in prayer, we need to be shaped in our asking and wanting. And that happens through the discipline of prayer. So what is prayer? Simply put, prayer is talking to God. It's that simple. Prayer is how we get things done in the kingdom of God. We'll talk about that next week. Prayer is learning to live your life with God. Um, Prayer, as Paul Miller says, is simply the medium through which we experience and connect with God. Prayer is how we relate and connect with God. So prayer is a practice that we can get good at, but the end goal of prayer is relationship. Are you with me? So we, want to, we know that Jesus is a man of prayer. We know that prayer is hard. And if you desire 
to become more like Jesus or you desire greater life, abundant life, then prayer is something that you need to adopt as a spiritual practice. And this is what this series is about. We're choosing to do things that we're not natural at yet because we know that the more we practice them, the greater the outcome in our life in the kingdom. So in the same way that you work out or you train for a half marathon or a marathon, any of my World Vision marathon runners in the house, just that was a really weak yes, okay? That either means you didn't do it this week or you're still regretting it um, and you can't back out because I know who signed up. But it's, you, you might be terrible at running, but when you train, you get better at it. It gets easier. When you go to the gym the first time, yes, it's going to be sore. Yes, you don't know how to use those machines. Yes, people look stronger than you, and they're better at it. And they don't really sweat, and you're sweating like terribly or whatever it is. But eventually, you show up day in and out, month over month. You eat well, and all of a sudden, your life is healthier. You're stronger. You look the way you want to look. That's because you showed up, and you disciplined yourself to do it. The same is true with things called spiritual disciplines. We do spiritual disciplines not for the sake of getting good at the discipline. We do them for the outcome of greater relationship in life with Jesus. So the end goal of prayer is greater intimacy with God. So let's anchor this in text. Luke chapter 11. I find this passage particularly fascinating to me um, for lots of reasons. But it says in verse 1 of chapter 11, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So Jesus heals the sick, casts out demons, preaches the gospel, walks on water, feeds 5,000 people miraculously, raises the dead, turns water into wine. And none of those things the disciple says, teach me how to turn water into wine. Teach me how to heal the sick. The only thing they ask, hey, teach us how to pray. That says something to the power and the journey of Jesus' life on earth in his prayer life. And so his disciples want to know. And so he gives us this, um, this Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. It says this, Father, verse 2, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Go to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll just anchor in the Lord's Prayer, um, which I, I, I know is, for many of us, so familiar. But there's three things I want to pull out of this that, will, that you probably overlook, to be honest, about this text that are so significant for your journey forward in prayer. In, Luke, uh, in Matthew, excuse me, chapter 6, verse 9, it's, it's the Lord's Prayer out of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So Jesus is asked by his disciples how to pray. And it doesn't give them a script. This isn't about a liturgy. This, the Lord's Prayer is not designed just to be read over and over and over. It's, you can do that. But the intention of the Lord's Prayer is not a liturgical prayer to read over. The intention is a template. Use, use it and then fill in your own words. That's, that's the idea around this. Most scholars would say it's more of a template. Here's this, this journey that Jesus gives us towards growing in our life of prayer. It's not just recite these and there's power in what you say over and over again. In fact, he talks about that right before this, about not just being repetitive. It's more of this template construct to help you 
learn to fill it in with your own words, which will end practically in just a moment. But it begins with this powerful statement that we always overlook, our Father. Now, in the first century, this would have been radical for lots of reasons because in the first century, Jewish listener, they would never speak to God as Father, ever. The Father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not our Father. Second, uh, God has specific names. And at the time that Jesus wrote this, there were ways in which you addressed God in prayer. And it was very formal in the synagogue and the Jewish custom. And so you, there were, it's almost like you had to say his name properly because if, if you don't, it's at, you're at risk of being stoned for taking the Lord's name in vain and missing God's name. So right off the bat, we see that Jesus is introducing this whole new idea that we can relate to God as Father. And uh, there are over 148 uh, times in the scriptures, in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that, that Jesus uses his favorite phrase to, to call God Father. And the Greek formal word is pater. And most scholars actually believe Jesus never used the formal word pater, although it's written. And one of the reasons it's written is because it was so controversial for Jesus to say what he really said, Abba. That when we come to the Lord, when we come to the God who reveals himself to Isaiah as holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. As we come into the throne room that is just this little tiny tassel and God is this massive transcendent being, we come to him in babbling baby talk, dada. So right away, Jesus just messes with first century constructs of who God is and 21st century wounds. That it's so powerful because most people I know have a father wound. Unintentional or intentional. That most of us here are struggle to relate to God as father because we project our distorted images of our own earthly fathers to the heavenly father. And when Jesus teaches us to pray, he actually says we have to have an accurate view of God first. And his line, his one line is our daddy, our father. So point number one is God is your father. And when you pray, what you think of God will make or break your prayer life. What you think about God will make or break your your prayer life. So personally, I've taught on this for years, that God is our Father. He loves you as you are, not as you should be. But I struggled with accepting God's love and seeing Him as a Heavenly Father, as a loving Father, because I projected my broken images of my own Father onto God the Father. And so I came to God in formal way, saying, okay, Father in heaven, here's all the good I've been doing. I've been praying for people in the streets. I've been feeding the homeless. I've been going and sharing my faith with people in Huntington Beach, on the, you know, telling them they're going to go to hell if they don't believe in you. This is literally what I did. I did it not just out of a passion. I did it because I thought I had to earn my place with the Father in heaven. And that was, and I, I knew it theologically, but it didn't get disrupted. It didn't get torn down until I became a father myself. 
And all of a sudden, I carry this little kid. Now I have two boys. And you see an image of one of them this morning. And there's nothing that my kids can do to not experience the love that I have for them. Ezra can disobey me, talk back. He will never doubt the love that I have for my boy. He'll never question it. He might as he gets older. But right now, I know, I know without a doubt, I can't help but love him. It would be against my nature to do anything but care for him. He doesn't show up to the dinner table hoping he's going to get fed. He knows food is on its way. We go to Legoland all day on Friday, Friday, and daddy is delighting over his son, putting him on his shoulders when he's tired, buying him the Ninjago swords because I wanted to make my boy unnecessarily loved. And it wasn't until I had that experience of a healthy interaction. And then I started going, oh my gosh, that's what you think of me. Like, I, all this striving, like it doesn't, I, you could, Ezra can paint me the most amazing painting. That doesn't change anything. Do you see how silly it is? When you put the human relationships, whether good or bad, Good helps you understand. So just take the good that I just projected, right? Project that to the Father in heaven and multiply that times infinity and maybe you get a tiny glimpse of the Father's love for you. This is where Jesus begins his prayer life. See, we have to have an accurate view or knowledge of God. Dallas Willard says it this way. I'm gonna quote a long quote and it's a really good quote. So get ready, buckle up. Dallas Willard says this. The secret to a good life. I don't know why I said buckle up. The secret to a good life is rooted in the knowledge of God. Okay, so stay with me. Here it comes. When that knowledge is absent from our minds, everything goes to pieces because of the fundamental fact that your primary contact with God is through your mind. And what you do with your mind is the most important choice you have to make. Wherever your mind goes, the rest of your life goes with it. This is, by the way, why Paul says in Romans, the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is death. What we place our minds on brings that reality into our lives. If we place our minds on God, the reality of God comes into our lives. That is why there must be preachers and teachers because until our minds are informed by the right view of God, we cannot put our minds on God in the right way. The problem is so severe that when Jesus came, he essentially says, said to people, forget everything you think you know about God. I'm going to tell you what he is really like. Matthew 22, verse 19. It is the problem of wrong ideas. As someone said long ago, it ain't what we know that hurts us. It's what we know that ain't so. All the, all the things that we know about God that ain't so destroy our lives, poison us, throw our lives uh, out of kilter, and throw our bodies out of an appropriate relationship to reality. Wrong ideas about God make it impossible for us to function in relationship to one another. Wrong, let me just say it one more time because that was pretty. Wrong ideas about God make it impossible for us to function in relationship to one another. We are not able to love one another because we do not have our minds filled with an accurate vision of God. Amen? 
Should we just close up and go? Because that just like wrecks all of us. And you're like, that's why I'm having all of these issues. And that is true. The ultimate revelation Jesus brings is who God is and what he's like. And when we carry these distorted views around of God in our life, we are unable to live out of a healthy perspective and it distorts our relationship with others, ourselves, creation, and God. So when we come to the prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray to a loving father. He says, when you pray, you pray to a father and he is a father who likes you and likes being with you. That's an amen for some of you. That he is a father who wants to do good things in your life. He's a father who desires the best for you. Whenever I have to tell my son no, it's because I desire the best for him. I'm not a killjoy in his life. Yes, you want to eat ice cream all the time. That's not the best thing for you. Some of you haven't learned that yet. (laughs) You're welcome. He He is a father who is interested in you. He's interested. He's a father who's for you. He's not against you. He's not setting up all these things so you don't, you stumble your way through life. He doesn't want to cause pain. He wants abundant life. And he will only act generous, kind, good, and compassionate towards you. That when you come to the father, when you come into prayer, Jesus says, have this as the backdrop of your reality of life. So are you coming in Oh man, I hope you hear my prayer. Are you coming in? Daddy's home. And this is what Jesus says. When you start in prayer, you start with our Father. How cool is that? So I know, I know this resonates. I know, we could just stop here. I got two more things real quick. They're a lot shorter than this. But this is so profound, is it not? That if we're going to practice praying, maybe one of the reasons we're bored and we're not having fun is because our image of God needs renewal. It's not accurate. And Jesus says, hey, the first thing you do is you come into a relationship of a generous, abundant father who knows everything about you and still wants to be with you. He's interested. He desires. He's with you. He's pursuing you. He's waiting for you to show up to those five minutes you set aside so he could just lavish his unbelievable fire hose worth of furious love upon you. Well, my boy, when I come home, my boy, he doesn't come up and greet me and say, oh, hello, Father. Thank you so much. Nice to meet you. Uh, I have done all of the things that you've requested at your, at your request, and I have organized all these things, and I am great. He runs. He drops what he's doing. doing. He runs saying, Daddy's home, knowing that I'm going to drop down and peck him up and kisses my face. I kiss his face, and he says, Daddy, can we play? And I said, nothing would delight me more than playing with you. Do you come to a prayer like that? Second point, God is near. This passage which we run over is our Father in heaven. And I love the King James ver- Version. Do you, you guys probably know it. Our Father. So the image you have is God is, is like way up there somewhere. And, and he's, so, he's so big. He's way in this, this sky city where he's just sitting there on the clouds. You know, doing what God the Father with his white beard would do in the clouds. But the translation that we have is terrible for us because in Greek it's plural, our Father in heavens. And it actually is better translated to uh, our Father in the air around us. 
The heavens were intersecting with humanity and creation. That there was no word in Hebrew, classic Hebrew, for spiritual because spiritual, that would mean that something was not spiritual. And heaven and earth were married together, interlocked and always connected. It's a spatial, dimensional thing. So when Jesus says, our Father in heaven, our Father who is near, our Father who is as close to us as the skin on our bodies, Our Father, who is as near as the breath we breathe in. So the first thing you need to know is that God, as you enter into prayer, is is not some absentee landlord. He's not a disapproving father. He's not angry. He's not a cosmic traffic cop waiting for you to make a mistake. He is a daddy who longs to be with you, and he's always present. Our Father will never abandon you. Our Father will never forsake you. Our Father is never Absent. The absentee dads that you had, it, it's, not, it's not anything to the Father in heaven. The God that, the Father that you, wanted, you know, that you wanted to show up to your events and just say you did a good job, son, or boy, or girl, that's not who the Father in heaven's like. He's watching, he's near, he's with you. So when you come in, what that means is you don't have to get to this sacred space to pray, although we do need to create space for prayer. And we'll talk about that discipline. But he's always with you. He's right here, right now. And the second thing you need to know outside of God being your father is God is near. He's so close. He's with you. So you can be anywhere and, and, and all of a sudden in your mind recognize the nearness of God. So the first is to correct your false theology and recognize that he is a father. And the second is regularly recognize that he's with you always. For those of you that have been hurt, which is all of us, have been in serious crisis and pain, wondering, God, where are you? Where the hell are you, God? He is right there grieving the pain, going, I'm with you. I never desired this for you, kid. But I'm going to get you through it. And even if you don't feel it, what Jesus is saying is get your mind right because that's reality. And faith is standing in reality, walking in reality. So you may not feel the nearness of God, but when you go into prayer, you you say, Jesus, you told me he's near. Our Father in heaven, right here, as close as the breath is to my lungs. That's how you come to the Father. Revolutionary, is it not? It's not we got to set up the Bible, get the Bethel music, make sure we got the incense on. We, okay, I didn't sin. I confessed all those. I forgot. I'm going to, okay, I confess that now. Lord, will you come? Come to me, God. No, it's the recognition. He's already here. When you go, if you're like, oh, Darren, you're talking about creating space in the morning and you don't have any time to wake up because your baby is the thing that wakes you up. You can walk into that room in the presence of God with no sleep, knowing that as you feed your baby girl or your baby boy, That the presence of God is right there. Just give acknowledgement to the Father who's with you and invite him into that process and allow the fiery furnace of prayer life to sustain you as a mom who's nursing a baby. Are you with me? Are we going somewhere? It feels like it. You are the favorite service. I'm telling you, this is... Okay, second, or the third, is also something we go over is hallowed be your name. We're going to end on this one. The first and primary goal of prayer is to enjoy God. I love this. I heard this said recently. I've been reading lots of parenting books. 
And then this like 17 points, my friend came out with these like 17 points of parenting. And his first point was this. The purpose of having kids, number one, enjoy them. It was like, whoa, took me back. Oh, that is so good. Like you can, you can, like the primary responsibility you have as a parent is to enjoy your children. The primary responsibility you have in prayer is to enjoy God's presence. Hallowed be your name. Now that, that phrase is to make holy God's name. So you could say the first and primary goal of prayer is, to, is grateful, worshipful enjoyment of the Father's company to enjoy God for who he is, not just what he does, but for who he is. So when we petition this, this is a petition. God, make your name holy. The word is sacred or sanctified or set apart, unique and special. In the, the Hebrew, the word is connected to glorify, which, is, which means weight, weighty, heavy, important, significant in Hebrew. So Frederick Dale Bruner, when he writes his commentary on this passage, he says, what Jesus is saying is, oh God, make yourself even heavier in the eyes of the world. Essentially, the world's first and major need is to know God as God. Nothing will go right in the world until the greatness and goodness of its source is grasped. So the main point is to enjoy him and to know him for who he is and to experience joy as you enter into his presence. And again, this can only come out of a proper understanding of who God is. You with me? So Tim Keller says this. This is where it connects, why it's, it's having to do with joy. He says this, to hallow God's name is to have a heart of grateful joy toward God and even more, a wondrous sense of his beauty. Consider how different this is from the normal way we use prayer to get things. We may believe in God, but our deepest hopes and happiness reside in things as in how successful we are in, uh, or in our social relationships. We therefore pray mainly when our career or finances are in trouble. Ding, ding, ding. Anyone else? Uh, or when some relationship or social status is in jeopardy. So when life is going smoothly and our truest heart's treasures seem safe, it does not occur to us to pray. Seldom or never do we spend sustained time adoring and praising God. We know God is there, but we tend to see him as a means through which we get things to make us happy. Hashtag blessed. That's what it is. For most of us, he has not become our happiness. With hallowed be your name, Jesus is saying, Father, you are the source of my well-being. Father, you are the source of my well-being. So as we begin to pray as a church, I know all of us have heard about prayer, but as we begin to practice the spiritual discipline of prayer, Jesus teaches us a few things. Number one, have this in mind as we begin to operate out of a a new sense of prayer discipline. As Jesus kind of pulls back his own window, I suppose, into his inner life when he tells his disciples, this is how you pray. Jesus reveals what God's like. First, that God is our father, daddy. God is near, always present. And God is to be enjoyed. And prayer is about finding joy and enjoying the presence of God. And the implications are stunning. 
if you actually do this, if you do the work, you will begin to experience greater peace in your life as you begin to move towards a life of prayer. So we'll pick up next week on on this passage, but a couple of things that I want to invite you to respond. Number one, I do think it's powerful to identify the false uh, images you carry of God. If you want to respond to the scriptures, the first thing to do is do the hard work. Allow the Spirit to identify what's the distorted image of God that you carry and replace it with the, the true biblical image that Jesus reveals. For some of you, it is the disapproving father, the absentee father, the disappointed father, the um, cosmic traffic cop, the angry judge. What is it? The, uninter- the, the, the cosmic mover, right? He's, he set things in place and now he's just uninterested. Most of us carry some form of, of image that has been um, m- more influenced by Aristotle and secularism than the Bible. So the second thing, though, is to begin to practice the spiritual discipline of prayer with the goal of becoming the kind of person that loves to have a conversation with God and end our lives by putting our head on the lap of Jesus. How do we get there? Well, I want to give you a couple of steps. And if you're not somebody who prays, maybe this is helpful. So if you're like me, because there's all sorts of prayers. There's meditation, imaginative, intercessory prayer. There's listening prayer. There's talking with God. There's prayer that becomes your whole life. There's practicing the presence of God. So there's lots of things. And uh, I want all of you to be driving uh, to work in prayer, to be running in prayer, to be getting ready for the morning in prayer and having, learning to have a conversation with God. That would be the ideal, that that becomes the norm in your life. So you're always praying. You're praying without ceasing. But how do you get there? Can I give you some helpful steps? And if it's not helpful, I'm sorry. This is through my life. So I'm somebody who's easily distracted, if, in case you haven't noticed. So I'm easily distracted. And so this is what I would say I would invite you to do if, it, if your life has space for this. I'm going to ask you to do 10 minutes of prayer every day, okay? Or five days a week. You decide. I'm not making a rule. Here's the point. Wake up in the morning a little earlier than you normally wake up. So point number one, wake up early. Point number two, make coffee or tea. Cool? So write that down. Step one, wake up. Step two, make coffee because you're not fully awake until you have coffee. So once you have that, then create a space that's quiet. So if you have kids, it's really hard. You got to wake up before them. Um, If you have roommates who like to talk in the morning, you should move out. If you, uh, (laughs) whatever. If you need to go outside, go outside. But create space. um, So for specific prayer time. So in a devotion life, I would say you open up the scripture, start with some scripture and read. But specifically with prayer, if you're like me, you have a hard time praying, um, get a journal and write down your prayers. So this is how my prayer life started when I took a class at, in Bill Doctrine's class when I was 19 on spiritual disciplines. I was 19 years old. I go to Vanguard University. I had the luxury of taking a class taught by Bill Doctrine on the spiritual disciplines. And this was the formative season for spiritual disciplines in my life. And I I was taught the discipline of journaling. So, so much of my life has included a journal. Take it everywhere I go. But my prayer life came alive when I recognized that my mind wanders. And if I don't keep my phone off, I'll just be on my phone. And so what I want you to do is get a journal and write down your prayers just for 10 minutes. And the structure I want you to do is similar to the Lord's Prayer. Start with blessing God. Blessing Him. Thanks, honoring Him. Glorifying God. Thank you. So what I tell my son, he's been coming in the mornings praying with me. 
And he's, I'm teaching him how to journal. He can't write yet, but I'm journaling for him. What do you want to say about who God is? God, I love you. This is from a four and a half year old. And then, so he, he immediately goes with, God, I love you. Um, and then he goes into thanking God. Thank you for my family. So this is what we do. Start with God, focus on him, and then thank him for the things in your life. So start with who God is and then blessing him for the, the things that you're thankful for. This is worship, by the way, but write it down. And then go into the things that are on your heart in the moment, okay? And write down a word or a sentence that helps you focus on that. So for me, it tends to be the most pressing. So I have to preach on prayer. God, this week I have to preach on prayer. I literally write this down. Would you just help me with this? I have this important meeting coming up. Would you help me with this? I'm feeling anxious about this. Will you help me? And then, and so I start with where I am at, and then I move into praying for people in my community and life. So I pray for our elders. I pray for our staff, our house church, and our church. As I feel led, I write it down. Just 10 minutes. Don't go long. Don't write essays. Write down words. It helps you focus on prayer. Start with God, who he is. Give him thanks. Bless him. Move into a time of connecting with where your heart is. And then you begin to intercede and, and, and pray for the needs in your community. And sometimes God speaks to you. So out of that time, I tend to text people that come on my heart as a way of blessing them in prayer. But this is simple, right? You can do it on your phone, although that might be a distraction, so don't do it on your phone. Do it on something that you'll do. Do it every day and see what happens. But this is the journey forward. So this is how we start with a, a couple of push-ups or a cup, like half a mile, and then eventually we run 26.2 miles. That's right. The last two are the hardest, I hear. Point two. So in your prayer life, start somewhere and move forward. Sound good? Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.